I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, I've been doing fun interviews and that doesn't stop. So today I have Doug Beyer. Ooh, hello. Okay, so Doug, I'll ask you the question I ask everybody. How did you start playing Magic? Uh, I started playing Magic in 1994 with uh, about the time of Fallen Empires. And how did you yeah. first see it? What, what was... Uh... Uh, some friends of mine uh, introduced me to it. We we got together like around when we were all in college. It was actually Mark Purvis, who was a friend of mine from from childhood, who introduced me uh, to Magic. And now we work together on Magic <laughs> in the building at Wizards of the Coast. So that's a kind of a crazy, crazy origin story there. Okay, so you start. How long did you play Magic? Bef- like before, like when did you start working for Wizards? For when you played Magic. Yeah, so I joined Wizards in 2000, so it was around the time of Invasion coming out in the real world, and uh, and I had been playing since, you know, six years before that or whatever, not Conti- quite the... Continuously? The, yeah, continuously. Okay. I was basically a fan all the way through that, and um, my first job at Wizards was working as a web developer. I wrote code um, and worked on HTML on the website, and uh, but kept kind of trying to angle my career toward magic as much as I could. No, uh, I I wrote the first iteration of Gatherer, the uh, card database, um, and then when uh, there was an opportunity to write flavor text from outside R and D to just like pitch in suggestions for flavor text for cards, and so some of my first flavor text was in Odyssey around two thousand one. Um, then when there, there was an opening in the creative team on on R and D, I applied for that and got it. That was about two thousand six, around the time of. Uh, the very end of Time Spiral Block, Planar Chaos, and, and Future Sight into yeah. uh, Lorman Block. Yeah, so this is the first interaction. I mean, you and I interacted before this point, but um, uh, I, when I first got made head designer, they put me in charge of the creative team for, I think, for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was responsible for hiring two people into the creative team. The first was Matt Cavada, who then mm-hmm. left and made a slot, which, which I didn't I hired you onto the team. So that was uh-huh. my, uh, uh-huh. you're one of my two hires ever, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was very happy to take Matt's slot. And then Matt uh, came back to Wizards of the Coast not that long afterwards. Yeah. So uh, he still got to be around. Yeah, although he's, he's – although I guess he just – anyway, he's he's been bouncing around in a lot of places in the company. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been on the show a whole bunch of times, so the, the long-time listeners know Matt. Uh-huh. Okay, so you get on the creative team. You said around Time Spiral. Yeah. So what what's the first set that you actively worked on uh, from a creative sense? So Player Chaos was just about – pencils down by that time matt cavada was sort of training me as i was i was coming onto the team and he was just about done with with creative text for planar chaos so it was future site that was really my first outing in fact like as i remember it the, the the first assignment the first big thing i had to do in the job was like name 50 new keyword mechanics <laughs> <laughs> so it was like uh, you know some of them i still proud of to this day some of them i'm like i could have probably done something better than fate seal i don't know <laughs> Um, but, uh, that was one of the first crazy challenges was like, Hey, future Sight is the first set you're going to work on. There's a lot of things to name. Yeah. There's a lot of cards that are like riffs on other cards or, you know, new spins on th- things we might try someday. That was a really fun set. Yeah. It, that's a complicated set for your first set. Yeah. It was kind of a, 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 you know, right into the, the deep end there. Okay. So you do future Sight Now the, the next block is Lorman block, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, that's, so is that your first time sort of? Uh, well, you worked on Future State, so how, what was your relationship with Lorwyn Block? 
Uh, Lower one was the first time that I was doing real world building writing. So I was able to be in early enough that I got to pitch in to the material that went into that world guide. So that was really fun. Um, and later on in the, and, and I was on the development team for Lorwyn and got to see sort of the connection between the cards that were being developed, like the gameplay was being developed and also how the flavor was going to match up with that. Um, and then the last set of that block, Eventide was the first time that I wrote art descriptions for magic cards. So that was, that was my first big outing there. Yeah, you have the distinct or not distinction, but uh, something you've been on a lot of design and development teams over the years. I mean, more so than the average. Cre- I mean, there's some creative team people that have been on some, obviously, but you've done more so uh, than most. Yeah. yeah, my 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 happy place is kind of straddling the gap, like being that bridge between, hey, what is the gameplay going to be about, and then what is the creative and the the art and the world building and the the names and flavor and the characters and the story. I want all those to make sense with each other. And uh, so I've always enjoyed bouncing back and forth uh, across that line between mechanics and flavor. So, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit because this is another interaction you and I had that seems to be a great example of you uh, sort of straddling this line. Uh, so we, I had pitched this idea of a land set to uh, R&D and it took years to, to come to fruition because <laughs> no one really had any faith in it. Uh, uh-huh. but they, fi- they finally let me do it. Uh, and I put you were one of the people that I put on the design team, mm-hmm. um, partly because I we had to creatively figure out what the, what the world was. My idea of a world based on land does not inherently mean there's any creativeness to it. It's yeah. just um, so we spent like two months. I, what happened was Bill gave me two or three months, and if we didn't have something good enough, he was going to make a switch to something uh-huh. else. Um, and so we spent all that time working on land mechanics and trying to figure out how to make land work. And then you came up with a really good idea. So let's talk about that. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, it, like the, it turned out that the focusing the mechanics of Zendikar on lands was great. It's just that that wasn't a good, a great pitch. It wasn't a, a good communication. Um, and it needed like to be married with a, with a creative conceit to really sing. And uh, so we got talking about it and we talked like, Lands are cool, like like they're obviously powerful parts of the game. But what is land in the setting? Well, maybe what if what if the lands are like the destinations? What if what if this place is about exploration? And we got on this adventure world idea that was like it's a world where people are always exploring, heading off to destinations. Like lands are the cool thing about this world mechanically, so we have to make it the cool thing in terms of the setting. So we, we like we focused on this kind of Indiana Jones sense of like rushing out to the world discovering these cool destinations and that adventure world pitch kind of brought it together for, um, for the identity of Zendikar. Yeah. And then there was fun because on the back end, then we started designing things to match. Um, that's one of the things I don't know if people really understand is the, the give and take. Maybe you could talk, I've talked about it from my end. Uh, You're going to talk about the give and take between design and creative. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure you've gotten the question many times. And so have I, which is like, which comes first? mechanics or flavor and it's like to some degree there usually is a one seed idea that's either creative or, or or gameplay but there's always back and forth throughout the process where like uh design has an idea that's sort of like we want to focus on lands that you know we noodle on that on the creative side and then we, we flesh that out more and then they got to bounce back to to designing cards and then yeah the quests obviously came out of of the idea of being adventure world that wasn't part of the land world pitch um that came out of that interaction and so just about every world that we do starts with an idea that's either 
creative or gameplay. It almost doesn't matter which which side it comes from because there's always this interaction, this back and forth, where like, okay, we we, we see what you're messing with on that side. We could do this cool thing with this on our side, and and back and forth. Um, that, I mean, that happens just about every world. Yeah, the, the, the right. There's a lot of give and take, and I don't think the the average person really like. I think people think like it's just one thing more so than mm-hmm. it evolves over time, and then each side kind of influences things. And Zendikar is a great yeah. example where I was very, I really, really wanted land to matter, but once you guys came with the venture world, uh, we then made what I called the the maps, traps, and chaps, which was <laughs> uh, quests and traps and um, the allies. And all that came out of Adventure World. Like none of that was lands. All that was came out of Adventure World. Um, okay, so so not only so let's walk a little bit about the things you do, right? So um, we talked. You mentioned that you do names, and not just names of cards, but names of anything, right? Yeah. Uh, mechanics. Yeah. Talk. Let's talk a little bit about naming. What what sure. is, what is the art of naming things? Um. So my my first job on the creative team was. Uh, overseeing creative text. That's just what we call uh, names and flavor text. Um, there's always a person for each set that is kind of the, the coordinator or overseer of, of all the submissions. So we, so we have uh, freelance writers that send in ideas for uh, possible names and pieces of flavor text for every card. And then there's that one person who goes through all those submissions, um, chooses them, cleans, cleans them up, creates new ones if there's not one that's really capturing it. Um, and naming is wild. Na- naming is like a name is a magic card's unique identifier. So, um, every year we make, you know, and new cards, hundreds or thousands of new cards. And that's that many more names that you can't use anymore. <laughs> um, so there's this, uh, it's, it's a interesting challenge. You're always looking to, um, capture like for a keyword or something for a keyword mechanic, you're looking to capture what's cool about that setting, what you're trying to get across in terms of the theme of that set. Um, but also leave room for the future. If we want to use that mechanic again, maybe it needs to be generic enough that we can see it in a different context. Um, yeah. I, like back when I wrote uh, savor the flavor, right? I did a, I haven't done a weekly column as long as you have because uh, nobody has, but uh, for about four years, I wrote uh, a weekly column just about magic flavor and tons of those columns were just about names, like all the different things, like you know, rules of thumb about what what would make a name not work out for a magic card. Um, you can't violate what the creature type is. You can't imply a mechanic that it doesn't have that sounds like it does. Um, you don't want to mistake the card type, confuse the you know. Names are a huge part of not just the flavor of a card, but how it's used in gameplay. People use these tags to. Uh, play the game with each other, and uh, so yeah, we think about we think about naming tons. <laughs> okay, so naming is so next thing you do is uh, what we call card concepting. So talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what we call card concepting is is really coming up with the the art description or the art brief, which is a set of instructions that go to uh, a free, uh, one of our freelance artists, and they use those instructions to generate the illustration that becomes the art of the card. Um, and that's a, a card consulting is a great example of being that bridge between flavor and mechanics. So you have to know about, enough about magic in order to look at a card that has no flavor characteristics yet at all and go like, oh, I get that this uh, one dub um, two two with uh, activated flying. I, I get what how that plays in the game. I see what it's trying to do. I see how it might behave during gameplay. Um, 
and then 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 it's an imagination step. You're trying to unify that set of characteristics with something that like represents that thing in in uh, in flavor terms. So th- and then we take that idea and turn that into a list of instructions. The artists, I mean, many people assume that like the, all the artists play magic. That most of them do not, and they never see usually the uh, what the card does, what what its stats are. That is that is not what their expertise is. They only see that art description. So it's very important that we get everything in there that they need in order to succeed at generating an awesome piece of art. And then we get that art in the in the building that goes together with the card. And now we've we've you know done that unification. Yeah, one of the things that uh, we joke about when we make cards sometimes is, like, we know they have to get concepted down the road. Like, I have no idea how they're concepting this. But, you know, like it, sometimes we make very neat cards. They play really well, but they're just, you know, a, a great example is when it destroys one of two things, and those two things have nothing, you know. Right. And, like, uh, destroy a flying creature or enchantment. You know, like, what, right. what does that mean? Okay, we only get one piece of art. So, um, yeah, I remember there was, like, I think it was, like, way back in Lorwyn, there was a creature that had, like, basically island home or island walk and flying. So this is a thing that's sort of, like, okay, it can hover through the air, and yet it it can swim through, like, it can hit you in the water place or something. Yeah, there, there's always challenges like that where it's, like, we're the people who have to, <laughs> if, if the card is doing what design wants it to do, and they're the experts on whether it's fun and doing the right thing or not, um, we, we have the job of making that make some kind of sense in, in the story of the game. Yeah, the other problem child I know is when a card has two states, like mm-hmm. a double face card, you actually get to show both states, but yeah. other than double face cards, it's sort of like, it's this that turns into that, and you're like, well, I, I can't show you both this and that. Yeah, when, when, you know, when we did double face cards, the situation was always like, "Good news, everybody! We have double the pieces of art to express the story of this card." <laughs> Normally, we have like one frame of animation. Like, think of telling a story if all you have is a single cell of of your animation or whatever. You take one, you know, moment out of a Pixar movie to explain everything that's going on. It's very hard. Um, and yeah, anything that has like level up or monstrosity or kicker or anything that we're sort of like the the creature has like oh kind of like a an okay version and a, and a blown up awesome version. Y- you got to pick. You got usually the answer is to show the awesome version. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so another thing you do is world building. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so world building is the step that comes before card concept before uh, naming. This is when we are meeting with uh, members of the world building team uh, to do the work that eventually becomes the world guide. Or the world guide is a reference document. That contains it's kind of like the the like TV shows have story bibles. This is kind of like the story bible, but for a world, for a magic setting. Um, so uh, a lot of my job is leading world building teams where we get together, we brainstorm ideas, um, like return to Ravnica. We're, we're we're heading back to Ravnica. What do we want to do differently this time? Or sometimes it's a new world, and the theme is um, Camelot meets fairy tales. What what are we going to do? to show that how, how do we make that world come alive in the art and names and flavor text and story of, of the game. Um, and one of the things people realize is that um, not only are you building vision, like the artists are building visuals, but you guys have to figure out like who are the people and what's the civilization like? Like there's a lot of um, writing that happens. Want to tell a little bit about like, sort of the writing that happens. Yeah. So um, like all the detail that 
we kind of think of the world guide as, as the scaffolding, like the, the real building, the edifice we're trying to make is the magic set, but the, the world guide is the scaffolding. So it needs, and it needs tons of scaffolding. We need, we need tons of material that can potentially be useful once we make, make the actual set. Um, for example, Zendikar has three different tribes of elves, um, and we want to make sure there's there's details about how their costuming is different, how their traditions are different, how their naming is different, so that if a you know one of those comes along in the card set, we want to make sure that like we can provide a piece of flavor text that's relevant to that tribe. Um, all that writing material is there to create texture and variety to make uh, the little snippet that you see of this world in the card set feel like this huge rich world. Okay, another big thing you guys interact with is story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as a good example of this, just because I know this was, this was your baby, um, <laughs> I want to talk about the Bola Saga as an example of you building something. And this is a very large thing, but talk a little bit about story and the Bola Saga and how that all sort of comes together. Yeah, so we, we had Nicol Bolas as a villain for a long time in Magic. Um, he had been kind of hanging around, and there was a lot of claims that he's very smart and very... Uh, mean and very uh, ambitious to, to gain power, but he hadn't really done much in the story. Um, and we wanted to create a, um, a big story that spanned across multiple magic sets and magic worlds uh, that really played up how cool he was. So I pitched this plan, um, and it was uh, kind of in the style of, of like the uh, invasion block or, or like, you know, the Frexians played out across uh, lots of different sets or the Weatherlight Saga played out across many different sets and worlds. Um, the goal was uh, play up Nicol Bolas as a cool villain, play up our heroic characters. We, like we had premiered the Planeswalker type and we had focused on, you know, decide like, okay, we're going to really, really focus on Planeswalker characters as the kind of stars of the brand. Um, all that's great, but they have to do something. So um, we built this this story arc. The idea was from basically Kaladesh. It was sort of set up a little bit before Kaladesh, but Kaladesh is sort of the official kickoff all the way through. Hey, what if what if this this culminated in uh, a beloved world that you know Magic players know and and recognize? And we crank up the stakes really really high, and we convert we we uh, have all these elements that that build and build and build and converge all on Ravnica, because we, we have been talking about returning to Ravnica for a third time. Um, what if that's the, that's the site of the climax there, where all the, all the good guys and bad guys come together, and we have a giant fight? Um, that, was, that was really, really fun to plan and work on. Um, wh- one of the things that was uh, really fun about it was that it was ambitious, but everybody who heard the idea was like, cool, let's do ambitious. You know, it was um, ambition responds to ambition. Everyone was like, okay, let's let's make an incredible trailer for War of the Spark. Let's let's make a series of web fiction where we play out uh, all these these plot threads. Let's see story moments all throughout. Every, like every design lead, every creative lead through all of those sets had kind of this extra responsibility of like, oh, we also have to sort of keep moving the story of the War of the Spark and the Bolas arc, um, and everyone came through. It was really, really cool. So in writing story, let's talk a little bit about writing story. How does that, like, what role do you have in having story happen in the card set? Um, story and, and the card set is, is another one of those examples of um, 
uh, creative and and mechanics interacting. So some like we we know like to some degree we went to uh, Kaladesh not because it was time to see Chandra's home plane or to kick off the Bolas arc, but because like it's time to do a really cool um, artifact based set where you get to feel like an inventor. So we knew that as, as like a, you know, that was part of the plan. Actually. In fact, I think the initial pitch, there was a different order. Amonkhet was or, before Kaladesh originally. Uh, Amonkhet and was, we swapped yeah. Amonkhet and Kaladesh. So you could see that that could even have been a more natural way to kick off the Nicol Bolas arc with uh, Amonkhet where Nicol Bolas was kind of making his lair. Uh, but it switched around, so it's sort of like, okay, cool. That, that's that's a constraint. That's the right thing for the you know the game to be doing. Um, so how do we make sense that we're going to kick off this story in uh, Kaladesh? So we work with uh, writers, we work with artists, we work with the people working on the the concept push. That's the um, the concept art generation stage for the world guide. All these creative people are working to figure out. Uh, what each character is going to do? What are their motivations? Why do they? Why are they showing up in this plane? This for this set, and how is that moving forward? The general goal of we want to eventually get to a point where Nicol Bolas tries to make this play for ultimate power and eat everybody's planeswalkers back. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I remember when you first pitched it. I was excited. I, I liked that. I, I loved the grandiose of it. And you, it was a three-year plan, but we didn't tell everybody it was a three-year plan. That the, we actually set it up so you thought the first year was going to end, and then instead of the the, the Gatewatch winning, they got horribly destroyed. And uh-huh. like, oh no, no, it's the end of Act One. It's not, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not the end of the story. Um, and the thing I always remember is it ended in a giant war of planeswalkers. <laughs> and I always said to you, I have no idea how we're going to do that, but it's I guess it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah the 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 pitch was always like, what is. Uh, we wanted to focus like what was important about uh, the magic characters, and we wanted that to be the, the villain's focus. So, like, what is unique about these characters? They're all planeswalkers. So, what if that's exactly what the villain wants? He wants all these planeswalkers. And yeah, I had no idea. Like, when we were pitching it, it was much closer to the Kaladesh end of things than the War of the Spark end of things. And the the details of how exactly we were going to execute on this finale were theoretically dozens or hundreds of planeswalkers are all showing up on the same world at once. I was th- <laughs> thrilled with, I mean, Dave Humphreys, I, I credit a lot in, in terms of figuring out like, yeah, I think we can just have one planeswalker in every pack. How, what if, what if <laughs> we just did that? And he, he found a way to make the gameplay that actually fun and work out. Um, and so that was really cool. It was just kind of like the, the story behind the, the concept behind the story drove expanding what we thought a magic set could do, which I thought was just like a, a great role for a creative. Yeah, one of the fun things sometimes is, and this goes both ways, is like when I was given uh, War of the Spark, it was sort of like, okay, it's it's this giant war. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's assume, like, I, I just said, okay, it's this. Let's assume there's lots of planeswalkers. How, how would you make that happen? Yeah. And I don't think I ever would put 36 planeswalkers in a set. But I'm like, okay, I, okay. Let's assume I have to do that. How do I do that? And then you figure that out. And there's a lot of there's a lot of fun in, in, in doing that. And you know, um, I like just like sometimes we give you guys cards, impossible cards to concept. It's fun sometimes. You go, here's the creative concept. How, can you make this work, please? Um, <laughs> and sometimes it, one of the neat things is. We do both what we call top down design, where it's like you know Greek mythology set or something. But sometimes it's 
hey, we have a cool idea. We have a cool world. Could, could you make the, how do you mechanically, and then we have to figure out how to do it on our end. So it's kind of neat watching the back and forth. I remember the, uh, the I had made <laughs> like the, the, a very amateur version of a, of a trailer in PowerPoint um, that, that I showed around the building to kind of like, wouldn't it be cool? This was for, for War of the Spark or what we were codenamed Milk at the time. So it was like the Milk trailer. And uh, it was just hacked together. And the end of it just had like this rapid fire shot of all the, the art of all these different Planeswalker characters and this like dramatic music. And, you know, I just like thrown it together over a couple of weekends. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of stirred something in people like Bill Rose was like, yeah, I think we should just figure out how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, to some degree, that's, that's what pitching is. That's what's you, you, you like get people hooked emotionally on like, I don't know how we're going to do that, but it would be cool if we did. And then the rest of it is, uh, you know, smart people can figure out how to execute. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of pitches, I'm going to segue into one last thing that I, I want to make sure we get to, which is another of your babies. Um, so talk about, uh, how Jumpstart came to be, because, uh, you were really the, the creator of Jumpstart. Yeah, it was, that was a fun project. So, uh, there was a, um, sort of a call from our, from our, our VP Bill Rose that was like, Hey, if you have uh, five minute pitches on any idea you can think of that could be, um, something for magic, uh, bring your pitch and, and give it. So I put together this, this idea that had just been kind of noodling around my head. Um, I always felt that like there are a lot of people who would like throwing together a magic deck um, and playing on the fly, but who don't have the patience or the, the, the you know the knowledge to sit through like a booster draft where well, there's tons of decisions to make. Um, you have to evaluate all these these cards. So jumpstart was the idea of what if you're just um, you, you the instead of the unit being a card, the unit is a theme. So the theme could be like merfolk or angels or whatever. And you take that theme and you just put them together. And uh, so they, you know, Bill liked the pitch. Other people liked the pitch. It went to a hackathon, which is kind of like a, you know, a brainstorming, like an intensive brainstorming session where we try out lots of ideas in a short amount of time. And uh, I led a hackathon team for, for jumpstart. And then, uh, it was fun enough that uh, we we put it on the schedule and, and built it in and turned it into a real product. Well, to be aware, that was the hackathon that Modern Horizons came out of. And yeah. so Modern Horizons got done right away. And your project, because it was more complex, mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about the complexity. Like, what, yeah. what, what made it so hard? Why, why was it so hard to do? Well, there, 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 it was hard on a couple different axes. One was just manufacturing. Like, literally the robots at our, you know manufacturing vendors are the wrong kind of robots to make jumpstart. Um, so there, there's like new machines in the world now that can make jumpstart packs. Um, the other aspect is just that it's uh, it making jumpstart puts way more onus onto uh, us, essentially on, onto designers to make these little half decks uh, make sense. So their, their mana curve has to be figured out. They're uh, having the right, kind of like removal and creatures and enough lands and utility effects, all that we had to figure out so that when you jam any two of these together, it's a fun experience. And um, so there was just way more like to some degree with a booster pack, uh, there's absolutely, you know, lots of play tests to make sure that, you know, any particular draft uh, you can generate a fun experience. But this one was like, 
we don't know what two themes you're going to shuffle together. And we're going to make 46 different themes or whatever it is, 121 different deck lists. And we have to test all these possibilities and make sure that no matter what two you pick, um, you have a deck that you have an, a fun time for and you don't sort of blame the product <laughs> if you have bad time. And another problem I know that came up was not every theme had enough cards to make the theme work. Yeah. So there were, there were some theme ideas that we loved. Uh, Devil, de- the, the devilish pack, the packet was the, um, a good example where we loved the idea of um, what if one of Red's uh, uh, boosters was focused on devils, but there just weren't enough devils or, or, or devils that you want to play in the game yet. It seemed like there would be a lot, but there kind of weren't. And, or they, they fell at weird places in the, in the mana curve or whatever. So for that kind of thing, we had to create more new cards to kind of fill in the gaps to like a devil themed legend that would really be your awesome rare in that pack or, um, you know, a sort of utility mid rangey devil that's not rare or that sort of thing. So um, I'm we're all, I'm almost to work here. Uh, so is there any other before we wrap up? Is there any sort of uh, other creative element we didn't hit upon today? Something else that you do that? Uh... Um, the the other main thing that that is my sort of pride and joy is is working on uh, far future planning for for magic sets and worlds. Like you're involved, Aaron's involved, some other people are involved, and we and we, we call it arc planning. Um, and it's just looking at uh, the the plans that we have for way, way in the future beyond like what anybody is currently working on. Um, that's really exciting to me. We're, we're kind of list out what are all the possibilities? Are there worlds we could return to? Are there worlds that we need to do that we could that we could create new? Um, that's always really exciting because that's the that's the, the farthest future that that uh, people in the department are looking. Yeah, it's the one thing I don't think people. I mean, I tell them this, but I, the like, for example, we're, we have an alphabet code name right now, right? So the code names are A through Z. Um, Archery was the code name for Throne of Eldraine. So to give people a sense, Throne of Eldraine was the start of this. That's A. Um, I think we know what U is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. U, I think, is the farthest we're sure about. <laughs> so just give people that and be aware, you know... Um, we don't, the code names don't have a letter. So these are all premiere sets that don't have, that aren't core sets. Um, and like, I, we have a, co- we have some confidence what we think you might be. So mm-hmm. this give people that the, the, the scope of things that is many, many, many years. That doesn't mean we're working on it yet. Cause a lot of what Doug's talking about is advanced planning. Um, yeah. but so anyway, Doug, it is, uh, I'm, I've made it to my desk. Um, so it was, it was, I was, I'll enjoy having you on, and uh, I hope I hope people. One of the reasons I keep getting, I'm trying to get different people in the building on my show here is uh, so you can realize all the work that goes into making magic cards. That I, I think people think like I come up with an idea and we're done. That's it. We made a card, um, but there's so many, so much that goes involved. So it's fun to hear from you and hear all about the creative process. Thank you so much for having me. But guys, I'm at my desk, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of uh, talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks, Doug, for coming on. Thank you. Uh, And guys, I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.